If you have your Bible, we'll be continuing our study in Philemon. Um, This will be the second and last week of our study through Philemon. Um, But if you have your Bible, uh, would you turn to verse 15? We'll be starting there today. And we'll just be reading through the end. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father God, as we make a habit of praying uh, before we approach your word, we're reminded that this is a uh, supernatural endeavor. Apart from you, our hearts are hard, and we need your spirit to illumine, to show, to bring light to this text before us today. I pray, Lord, that I would decrease and that you would increase. I pray that through the reading of your word, we would have soft hearts to receive your truth, that we would take it out of this room, that we would play a part and a role in your redemptive work throughout this whole world. We love you. We trust you, Lord. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've never been too good at waiting. Um, I think my wife can attest. I think, I think I said I love you before our first date, uh, which is real awkward. Um, yeah. Um, I also spent eight years as an officer in the Marine Corps, and there's a lot of waiting. Um, a joke and attest, uh, hurry up and wait is a real thing. And I spent a lot of time waiting. I was waiting for the admin of bureaucracy. I was waiting uh, sometimes for medical um, to get um, another series of shots that I'd already had. Um, <laughs> and I would be waiting in the field. Um, I can't really think of a worse thing than um, waiting to be um, reconciled back with your loved ones, wanting to be with them again, and not being able to. Um, I'd spend over six, seven weeks at a time in the desert in the field, um, watching camel spiders fight scorpions, um, waiting to be back with my wife, and at the time, just Kate, my child. And probably the biggest chunk of waiting that we did um, as a family, uh, I was deployed on an aircraft carrier in 2015, um, and I was gone for, uh, I think, over seven months. And during this time, we were preparing ourselves to wait. Um, We recorded videos of me reading as Kate was growing up, going from one to two. um, She could hear me read books to her even though I was gone. And I made a chain of messages for my wife, Rachel, where every message, uh, you know, was for each day I was gone, and she'd break the chain and read it. And we thought this would kind of help soften the blow of waiting. 
Um, even though at, at the end of, you know, a couple hundred chains, I started to just tell her to do things like go um, take a shower, and go eat some food, um, which I think was actually helpful uh, probably at that point. Um, but yeah, there's not really a good way to prepare for waiting. Um, it can be really difficult and hard. And I don't think my experience is alone in that. I think a lot of us today have either been in or maybe currently in long seasons, long periods of painful waiting. Learning to trust in God's provision even when it feels like it's not coming and the ship has sailed. For many of you, this might be waiting for your children to come back to Christ. Maybe it's for your marriage to just feel easier. Um, Maybe it's broken friendships where you're still trying to pick up the pieces decades later. Maybe today you're waiting on God, struggling to trust that he really is working all things together for good. Maybe it's hard to believe that there really are no accidents, that everything is actually working for a reason. And our Bibles attest to this. Praise God, church, that our Bibles are real. Our Bibles give us the real reality of men who have lived and died waiting on God. 3,800 years of history of God's people waiting on him, longing for redemption, even before Christ came. So we get into this text, and we as a church today long for final redemption. We want things to be made right today, and this can be tough, especially when it comes to the area of salvation. We don't necessarily know if someone is going to come to Christ, but that hope is worth waiting for. It's a good thing, because ultimately we know that there will be a day where all things will be made right, where redemption will truly happen, full redemption. And this is our hope today. We can know that everything will be redeemed. Our bodies, this world, our broken relationships um, with other believers. Ultimately, we are going to spend eternity together. And so, as we talked about last week, this letter of Philemon, it's a short letter, but there is a lot of... um, truth here in our text. We don't see that gospel declaration like we see in Colossians and Ephesians, but we do see direct and powerful gospel application. If you remember last week, we were talking about kind of the iceberg of the gospel, and Paul is basically asking Philemon to just take his uh, feet and take steps onto the iceberg of the gospel. And so we re-enter the scene. We get reacquainted. Um, I'm sure, I think I said a a couple times last week, I might have confused Philemon and Onesimus, but we want to be kind of understanding the characters of of what's happening in this letter. You have Paul writing this letter to Philemon while he's in house imprisonment. You have Onesimus, who's part of Philemon's household, um, likely a runaway slave, and you have Paul. Uh, Philemon is a church leader who has clearly lost trust in Onesimus, and Philemon appears to have been wronged in some way by Onesimus by this slave that once took residence in his household. Paul here in this letter is appealing to Philemon's love and to his faith for others in this letter. Paul leans on their partnership that they share in the gospel. And it gives a pretty big ask in this text. Remember, this letter is kind of a private letter, but it's being read publicly. And remember, Onesimus is standing there with the letter. So Philemon already knows the gospel. He has come to Christ And now he has to apply it to this very painful relationship. Philemon 
has to walk in reconciliation and forgiveness of Onesimus. He is playing a role in God's redemptive and restorative work in a fallen and broken world. And why is he called to do this? It's because it is a powerful display of what Christ has already done in Philemon. He forgives because he's been forgiven. And he doesn't earn anything by doing this. We don't want to fall into the trap of moralism here in our text. The gospel empowers this. He's not doing it to earn anything. And so the big idea for our text today, for this letter as we finish Philemon, is a simple one. Redemption is worth the wait. This idea seems simple enough, but man, it's hard to apply. We could read a thousand books and letters about the gospel, but applying it within our most painful relationships, that's a doozy. It's hard to wait on the Lord. We grow impatient. We get tired of things. Um, We may have hope, and that hope slowly dies over time, and then we may just be walking in dependence, gripping to our Savior. There's nothing wrong with that, because we see that shown time and time again in the Psalms. We may know that God redeems relationship, um, but we may struggle with his timing. We really would like it to be done maybe a little bit faster. We long for that day where everything will be made right, where there will be no more sin, suffering, disease, no more Legos on the floor that we step on, no more relational separation. Uh, Struggle to believe the line of the song that says, Lord, you're working in our waiting, teaching us to trust. Well, the amazing reality for us today, church, is that God saves the wayward and the broken through faith in his son. And as we wait in this hope, our waiting is not in vain. God is working in our waiting. If the relationships are between believers, we can know for sure that God is going to mend this broken relationship. And if it doesn't happen in this life, we know it's going to happen in glory. We have a long time to celebrate and worship the Lord together. And so the amazing reality for us today is that God is working. And so my hope for us, church, is that we would trust in his redemptive plan. Even while we're waiting, even when the waiting seems like it's gone too long and we start to lose hope, we can trust today that the Lord is doing something in the midst of our broken relationships. So as we look in this passage, Philemon, we're going to see three ways that we can participate in God's grand redemptive plan, even in the midst of just waiting. First point. We wait while pursuing proximity. Wait while pursuing proximity. We're going to read verses 15 and 16 again. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. We'll stop there. Now, this is where I wish the Apostle Paul would have spoken with more certainty in our text today. He's using words like perhaps and might. Thinking of the Marine Corps, they say hope is not a course of action. Right? He doesn't exactly say why Onesimus ran away. How Philemon ended up in this position of needing to receive him back in his house. But Paul is still saying something profound here, despite a little bit of the ambiguity. Paul is saying in the midst of conflict and relational separation, the gospel powers us to wait on the Lord and trust in him. When possible, our call is to take steps towards reconciliation, even if we've already taken those steps. And the end goal is to unleash the unifying power of the gospel in broken relationships between believers. 
Because even if it doesn't look like God's doing anything in the relationship, we can rest assured today that he's doing something in us. So here's the question of the text. How long actually have Philemon and Onesimus been separated? It says you've been apart a while in the text. Well, how long is a while? I'd argue today that it's not necessarily a few days or a few weeks. Remember, there's not cars, trains, or planes here. And Onesimus somehow has gotten very, very far away from Philemon. Something in the ballpark of 12 or 1300 miles. This would have been a journey probably on foot, maybe in ship. But then still, there was enough time where after Onesimus somehow got connected with Paul, Paul is able to speak into his life, disciple him, and then Onesimus amazingly comes to Christ. And then Onesimus would have to travel all the way back to Philemon with this letter in hand. And so I think it's safe to say that a while here in the text is probably months, perhaps even years. Meanwhile, Philemon is waiting, not knowing what's going to happen. And so we have to understand that Philemon has lost a member of his household. And so we have to understand what would a household like at this time. In Roman society, we might have mentioned it last week, but nearly a third of the whole population was enslaved. This slavery was different than American slavery, so we kind of have to change our cultural lens here. The slavery of Rome was, was most likely, for the most part, not connected to race. It was more of just societal class of standing. And many slaves, for the most part, uh, um, were conscripted labor. And by that, I mean that they had voluntarily decided to become a slave for a predetermined period of time. This is why the translators sometimes put the language, instead of slave doulos, they put bondservant to try and avoid the confusion. We have to understand how terrible and how grueling life was if you were lower class in Rome in the first century. It was difficult to try to find sustainable food. Um, There weren't grocery stores to try to find sustainable uh, pay and labor and work. This was really difficult. Sometimes getting a long-term contract then meant indentured servitude. This in turn would secure shelter, food, everything that they would need to stay alive. All this to say, in our text, it's not explicit if Paul is even advocating for Philemon to free Onesimus. And frankly, it might not actually be in Onesimus' best interest. We do know Paul is calling Philemon to receive him as a brother in Christ. To receive him freely, no longer as a past version of himself. That past version that did not know Christ and was not born again, but amazingly as a fellow brother in Christ. And this is radical in the world of Roman citizenship too. Being a citizen of Rome separated you from slaves and from the lower classes. Um, Those people did not have rights um, like you did. And it gave you a very powerful defense and standing in conflict. You had authority in the exchange. It puts you in better light. And so it would have been a huge temptation for Philemon to see himself as a Roman citizen and to uh, appeal superior to Onesimus even after he had come to Christ. Paul even leverages his citizenship. We see that in Acts. Uh, gets him out of a variety of tough situations. It is a powerful defense. 
But Onesimus, again, cannot appeal to being a citizen. He doesn't have those rights. In this society, no one really felt like slaves were owed anything. Rights in general is kind of an American concept. So Philemon would have been tempted to say, I don't need to let this runaway back into my household. Remember, he likely stole from Philemon. So in this letter to Philemon, the Apostle Paul is appealing to something different than their societal standing, something greater. In Christ, amazingly, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus are all equals. They're all brothers in Christ. They are citizens not of Rome, of Colossae, of Israel, but they're citizens of the kingdom of God. They are united within this eternal kingdom, this partnership in the gospel, this sharing of their faith. Slave, master, apostle are all equal before the cross. All sinners in need of a savior. All beggars looking for food. And from this, they are all fellow heirs of Christ. They now get to play a role in showcasing God's redemptive master plan within this local church community. We have to assume that the community is watching So make no mistake, Philemon had waited all these months or even years and the Lord had been working during this time. The apostle Paul ministers to Philemon, sharing the gospel with him and discipling him in order to be useful to others. Paul has discipled Onesimus, not by his own power, but by the power of the gospel. He now is a new creation, walking in the spirit of a living God. So we'll pause here in the text. Our application today is, what might the Lord be doing in your waiting today? What might he be up to? Maybe your issue isn't even with a person. Maybe your issue is with the church today. Maybe you've been hurt by the church organizationally in the past. Maybe there's still people within this local community who you love, who you at one time felt so close to, and now you feel incredibly distant from, even as you bump carts in a grocery store. They may still be in your geographic community, but what is the Lord doing in this relational distance and in this hurt? I think the amazing truth of this text today is sometimes the Lord is permitting distance for the purpose of bringing proximity. Today we can trust our God. Did you know that waiting is not passive? It's not just doing nothing. Waiting in scripture is never passive. This is active waiting. Call it a tactical pause. It is praying for God to move mightily. It's taking whatever step you can towards another. God may not answer to our will today, but that may mean we just need to align our will to his. Time is short. And our king is on the throne. And we can trust him. We are called to not just sit idly, but to walk steadily in our faith. Looking to Jesus, the author, founder, perfecter of our faith. Trusting him in a very confusing, difficult life. Waiting then is an exercise of active faith. And we see this all over the scripture. Probably the most readily example is God's people in the wilderness. Were they standing still in the desert, church? No, they were wandering, and they weren't wandering for 40 days or 40 weeks or 40 months. They were wandering for 40 years, 
for an entire generation to die off. Wondering, what in the world could God be doing through all this? Somehow, he is doing something good. The Christian walk then is not a run, but it's also not standing idle. It's trusting, hoping, turning and trusting, repenting and believing. This never stops in our life. We never stop needing our grace. We never stop because sin clings closely. We have to be reminded every day that we need a savior. As sojourners, we're called, in a sin-filled world, we have to take each day at a time and sometimes each step at a time in our walk. God is working in the active waiting. We can trust him in this. We trust him as we follow his perfect son by the power of the spirit, hoping in him. And ultimately, this is gonna cultivate a deeper trust. This is what we mean when we say that God is teaching us to trust in our waiting. This is what faith is. Faith is knowledge of the gospel, it's belief, and it's trust. It's an assurance of things hoped for, a conviction for things unseen. And this assurance isn't time-bound. We don't just wait a few weeks or a few months or a few years and then stop trusting. This is a lifelong endeavor. And so in times of relational distance, we must wait even while we're still seeking this closeness. People are only going to go as far as God allows them to. And so we have to trust and wait and sometimes just take the next step when it's available. Husbands, some of you today are not willing to wait on your wife. You know, hey, you're called to live in an understanding way with her. But the understanding kind of can have a time limit. Parents, some of you are not willing to wait on your young kids. I mean, they should know by now, right? But God is working in the waiting. Parenting takes a long time, I've been told. And maybe you're single in here and you think, well, the ship of God has sailed. I've been waiting on a spouse and waiting on a spouse and waiting on a spouse and God hasn't provided. But the reality today, Christian, is that you're not called to wait on a spouse. You're called to wait on a loving God who cares for you and his ways are best, even if they're higher than ours. Our God is the only one who can fill the void that we have in our waiting. And sometimes waiting helps us see this void that we didn't know that we had. So as a people in Christ, we wait. This is a lot of what the Christian walk is. So in the midst of broken relationship, we pursue proximity and hope. At times we find ways to step into the relational distance of others. But even when we can't, we wait. And we bring the gospel to bear. And so this is the second point in our text today. Step in the gap sacrificially. We'll read verses 18 through 20 again. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Stop there. So anytime you read in your Bible and you see a conditional clause, this should make our ears perk up. Why? It's a dead giveaway of the author's argument. 
It's often helping us see the focus of what the author in Scripture is writing for. Paul is giving here to Philemon an if-then statement. If this is true, then this also must be true. If we are partners, he is saying to Philemon, then receive Onesimus as one too. This reception is conditional on the basis of their partnership. If you remember last week, we talked about how in verse 6, that sharing of your faith is better translated as sharing in your faith. This is koinonia, this is fellowship, this is partnership. This is the connection that we have in relationships for the gospel to then come to the table. So Paul puts himself on the line here. This is commendable. Paul's not in a great spot right now. He's in house imprisonment. And so he's offering to pay whatever debt there is for Philemon to receive Onesimus and for things to be made right. We have to ask ourselves, are we willing to put skin in the game in these relationships? Sometimes we're willing to help anyone but that one hard relationship that's right in front of us. Putting skin in the game looks like walking in sacrificial love and maybe stepping a little bit into the muck that's happening. Why can we do this? Because we have been forgiven in Christ. We have the gospel fueling this endeavor and the fruit of this is love and patience and self-control. Paul understands here it's not about leveraging his authority to Philemon. He's not pointing to his power or his position. Paul's appeal is based on their mutual trust and dependence on Christ. Paul cannot redeem anyone. This letter is not us looking at Paul and saying, man, Paul was so great. Paul is pointing to the one who is. Philemon cannot redeem anyone. Church, we cannot redeem anyone. All we can do is point to the one who can. But man, that's powerful. How will they believe if they haven't heard? So Paul says here, charge that to my account. And though Philemon is restored, there are still consequences of this past sin. And Paul is seeking to make the record straight. Paul is living out the gospel. So we should take steps into the gap between other people to help facilitate peace. And this is not moralism to say that Christ is our example in this. We're not doing this gospel work. God is doing the healing and redeeming. We're merely opening up our hand up to receive however God wants to work in those situations. So we have to ask ourselves, are we responsive to the Spirit's prompting towards those broken relationships around us? Does the Spirit propel us forward like wind in our sails? In light of what Christ has already done for us, do we respond to this grace by seeking it fulfilled in other people? And church, Christ didn't just stand in the gap for us. He lived and he died for us. And in his resurrection, we know like Onesimus that we also are raised from death to life. I want to just look at Isaiah 53 for us today and I'm just going to go over this presentation we have of what Christ has done. The incarnate word walked among us. God took on flesh. And the prophet Isaiah describes this as follows. He says that this God-man was ordinary. 
that he was despised and rejected by the ones he came to save, that he was a man of sorrows, that he was well acquainted with grief, that he was one from whom men hid their faces, that he was despised and yet we did not esteem him. He describes him that he was stricken, he was smitten by God, he was afflicted, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, he was humiliated, but ultimately this brought us peace. Christ did not just live and die, but he was raised. And because of this resurrection, now he is our great healer. He is our great sin absorber. He is our savior who made intercession for transgressors. And he is our Lord and master. We have a new king. We are no longer slave to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. We are free to walk in light of the gospel. And from this reality, we can actually stand in the gap. I'm not saying that we can be Jesus, but his work is our power. He has given us the Holy Spirit and he bears the fruit of love and peace in us as we continue to wait on him and trust in him. We cannot bring redemption ourselves, but we can point to the one that can. So practically today, standing in the gap is taking a step that others are not willing to. To stand in the breach where the people involved are unwilling to go might have heard it said, to be the bigger man. This may mean encouraging someone with the gospel. It may mean reminding them that they've been forgiven much. It may mean modeling what it looks like in our own relationships. It may mean intercessory prayer for people, for the Lord to work mightily. How many, how many faithful saints have there been in the history of the church who have prayed day in, day out for weeks, months, and years and to not see the Lord bring his redemptive power to bear But after that loving saint goes to glory, God works mightily. Our prayer is not a waste of time or effort, and our waiting is not a waste of time. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. We have been raised in the newness of life, and this powers us to stand in the gap for other people, to put skin in the game, to sacrificially serve others and seek reconciliation through the redemptive power of the gospel. We can't do it alone. Thankfully, we have partnerships. We have this church. And this is our third point today. Church, find refreshment through partnership. Everything we're talking about today, you cannot do alone. It will not last very long. We used to do these log carries. And uh, the tall guy always carries all the weight. But uh, you cannot carry this log alone. Read with me verses 21 through 25. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Stop there. I guess we have to stop there. That's the end of the letter. Paul doesn't just appeal to his partner in ministry and go on with his day. He's telling Philemon that if he's free from prison, he's going to travel 1,200 miles and stay in his house. There's no guarantee that the people we love will be redeemed like Onesimus, but it is a worthwhile thing to hope in. Onesimus didn't just clean his act up. He is a new Onesimus, filled with the spirit of an omnipotent God. He has gone from death to life. He's gone from flesh to spirit. He's gone from useless to useful. 
It's what's happened to you and to me as we have trusted in Christ. Onesimus was condemned in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. He was enslaved to sin and now he's enslaved to righteousness. He walked in the chains of self-interest and now he actually is useful to other people. Church, have we gotten too familiar with the miraculous word, work of, of God in redemption? That the dead suddenly are alive? That the blind suddenly see? A supernatural revelation from God to man that changes everything. And for Onesimus, we know that there's a change in character, a shift in standing, a pivot in position. As God predetermined, he chose to reveal his grace in an irresistible way to his rebellious creation. They are born again, and they believe. We see this in Nicodemus. If you have your Bible, uh, turn to John 3. Let's take a look at that. Redemption ultimately means, church, that the gospel has changed us. It means we've been born again. And so this verse, this passage, should be familiar for us today as we look at John 3. Zach uh, just preached through John 3.16 a couple weeks back. Something powerful here that we want to see. We'll start at John 3, if you'd follow. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. Come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We read on. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So this is what it means to be born again. How much did you contribute to your birth, Christian? Onesimus didn't just clean up his act. He is a new Onesimus. He's filled with the spirit of an omnipotent God. He has been supernaturally regenerated. He's gone from death to life, flesh to spirit, useless to useful. As God predetermined, he chose to reveal his grace in this irresistible way. And we see Jesus describing this amazing thing as born of water and spirit. So we have to ask, what does that mean? Um, Born of water, especially for Jewish tradition, is likely a reference to purification. 
This is the cleansing of Christ's perfect life. This does not mean that we purify ourselves, but it does mean that Christ has purified us through his atonement, through his substitutionary death on our behalf. We needed this. We needed someone to cover for our sin because apart from Christ, even our righteousness, even us on our absolute best day, are filthy rags before a holy God. Our sin has forever separated us relationally from our God. But Christ's life, death, and resurrection makes it possible for us to have our slate wiped clean. It makes it possible for Onesimus' slate to be wiped clean so that he can be welcomed back into the household of Philemon. That's what this water is. And the Spirit is the Spirit of God. The Spirit that is imparted to us that we get to receive upon faith in Jesus Christ. Often in John's Gospel, we see unbelief as blindness. We do not see because we do not believe. Therefore, seeing isn't believing, but believing is seeing. This spiritual sight uniquely unites and empowers believers to partner together and find refreshment through this. Is it starting to make sense how this comes to bear in this letter to Philemon? Through faith in Christ, Onesimus has gone from being dead in sin to alive in Christ. And through this rebirth, he is able to now see, so he now believes. He has received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And from this changed life, Onesimus will start walking out that fruit Galatians, we read, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Onesimus then will live more and more as he already is in Christ, righteous and holy. This is not because he earns his standing before a holy God, but because Christ did not only die for Onesimus and you and me today, church. Christ also lived for us. His righteousness is our own. And part of this new life, Onesimus will identify himself with one of the brothers, which we get to read in the letter to Colossians. This means he gets to be welcomed as a part of the family of God, as a fellow brother in Christ. Onesimus then will commit and submit himself to this group of local believers. And as Onesimus grows in faith, he will look more and more up with an eternal perspective. He will be able to weather the storms of light and wait because his kingdom is not the one of the earth. And his kingdom is the Lord's kingdom. The Lord's kingdom who is reigning and ruling today. As Onesimus grows in faith as a believer, he will look up more with an eternal perspective and not be stuck in self-absorption, which is what made him useless. Onesimus now has greater joy and meaning and purpose in his life. He has been redeemed. Now he works for an audience of one. He is slave to one, and that's not Philemon. His identity is in Christ and Christ alone, and he is no longer defined or dependent on his usefulness as a slave. And ironically, this disposition makes him a whole lot more useful to Philemon. Philemon is a changed man, no longer a victim to his past. He's a partner in Paul and Philemon's present ministry. Have you been born again, Christian? Maybe you can't look at a specific time in your life, a specific second on the calendar, but you can see a change in direction. Only those who are born again believe because seeing is believing in the kingdom of God. Have you turned and trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior?
if you haven't done that. There's no better time than right now. The gospel is the only way any of what we're talking about today is possible. The power of a holy God working in and through us. Onesimus did respond to Paul's ministry. The Lord worked powerfully through Paul. And now Onesimus is a changed man. Onesimus did it and it forever changed his trajectory. Now he's going to be welcomed by his Christian brothers forever. No longer is he a runaway slave, hiding in shame, living meal to meal. He is now redeemed as a gospel partner to his master. He's finally able to come back home. Philemon has been born again too. And this keeps him from falling into the rank and file of the Roman society around him. He can now receive this slave, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. These gospel partners are living for a kingdom not of this world. They're living for the kingdom of our holy God as his redemptive master plan is taking root in their life and working out and through them. These reminders should give us rest today. And we have to remind each other. This is why these partnerships refresh us. They give us rest as we point to the only one who can give us rest. We said it last week, but that word refreshment literally means to give rest. Some of you in this room may be on your last rope. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and there doesn't seem to be any hope for progress. Still no reconciliation. Still no redemption. Why isn't it working? What do I need to do different to be heard by a holy God? Today, church, we can trust that God is working in the waiting. Remember, this isn't passivity. This is active waiting. It's exercising faith. It's learning to trust. Our God is good and you can trust him today. He has given you his very son. How will he not also give you all things? As we close, I just want to highlight these names on the end. I think there's something really powerful here. We already talked about Nicodemus, but that last name, Demas, that's not Nick's uh, nickname. This is a different Demas. And then we have John Mark. We have Demas and John Mark. For those of you who remember, John Mark um, started accompanying Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary tour. But for some reason, John Mark decided to go back to Jerusalem. And it was clear to the Apostle Paul that John Mark left really in a time of need and desperation. The relational distance put a bomb into their whole journey and their whole plan, it seemed, to the Apostle Paul. How could God be working through this critical member of the team leaving? And this was such an issue, it actually drove a wedge between Paul and Barnabas. Because in the same way, unity in one relationship will carry over to unity in another. Disunity in one relationship then carries to disunity in another. But for John Mark, it's a happy ending. John Mark was living for a kingdom not of this world. And so he didn't forever walk in shame for his his failure to support Paul, but ultimately wrote one of our gospels, the gospel of Mark. And Paul and Barnabas are reconciled. That's the happy picture. Demas, on the other hand, 
though he's faithful, though we see him in this text, he wasn't faithful through his life. We read in another account that he falls in love with the world. And this means he left the Apostle Paul forever, probably because he was never born again. For gospel partners to have partnership, you have to be born again. Good works do not save you. We do not work through our sweat, but through our trust of Jesus. Everyone in this letter partners together because they've been born again. It's not who they are, but it's whose they are. King Jesus has captured the hearts of these men, and now they can actually cooperate to seek his kingdom, to be instruments of the redemptive power of the gospel within a fallen and broken world. So as we close our three points, we wait while pursuing proximity. We step in the gap sacrificially, and we find refreshment through this partnership. May we walk in the knowledge that our waiting is not in vain that God is king, that Christ is on the throne, and that everything is happening for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, as we close, um, we just want to give you the glory. Maybe today, through our prayer and through our waiting, you will redeem or restore a relationship. But even if you don't, we trust you, Lord, because you have redeemed our relationship with you. There's no greater cost than you sending your son, Jesus, to live the life we couldn't live, to die the depth we deserved, and that you raised to glory. This grace was not cheap, and so we worship you for this weighty goodness of you, Lord. I ask that we would have changed hearts today, that we would walk as instruments of you, the Redeemer, and that we would savor our Savior to a deeper level. We love you, Lord. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.